0: Exodus 25, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, that they bring me an offering, of every man that giveth it willingly, with his heart ye shall take my offering. And this is the offering which ye shall take of them, gold and silver and brass, and blue and purple and scarlet, and fine linen and goat's hair, and ram skins dyed red, and badger skins and chitim wood. Oil for the light, spices for anointing oil, and for sweet incense. Onyx stones, and stones to be set in the ephod and in the breastplate. And let them make me a sanctuary, that I may dwell among them, according to all that I show thee, after the pattern of the tabernacle, and the pattern of all the instruments thereof. Even so shall ye make it. My friends, we're looking... Uh, this evening at this uh, very interesting subject of the tabernacle, and uh, God uh, coming to dwell with men, and uh, God giving instructions uh, to Moses how he's to go about building uh, this tabernacle and the furniture, the accoutrements that are to be in it. Last week we left Moses, and uh, he was in the midst. He went up uh, to be with God in the midst of of, of the cloud, There, high up on Mount Sinai, six days he had to wait. Then the summons came from the Lord, come up, and Moses obediently uh, went up. Forty days and forty nights, we read there at the end of chapter 24, uh, he was uh, in the cloud uh, with the Lord, supernaturally uh, kept by the Lord, given uh, those Ten Commandments uh, on uh, tablets of stone, Written with the finger of God, and alongside that he has also given these blueprint uh, for the tabernacle, uh, this earthly place that uh, he is to construct and to build uh, in order for God to come and to dwell amongst his people. A separate place, not amongst the tents, as it were, of the people, right in the very center uh, of the camp, among the people God was to dwell, a residing place for the Lord. How how amazing that God should uh, confine himself as it were. The God who even the heavens and the earth are too small to contain him should be willing to come and to dwell amongst uh, his people. We see this in verse 8. Let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them according to all that I show thee after the pattern of the tabernacle. A place of worship. A place where uh, God would meet uh, with his people. It was to be a tent-like construction because it had to be collapsible. Because every time uh, that the people of Israel had to move on, well, they had to uh, take, take down this tent, this tabernacle, and then wherever that cloud stopped, they would have to erected once again and this would happen until they reached into Canaan so it was a tent uh, of meeting, a meeting place uh, for God and his people but this blueprint we see was given to him Moses didn't have to conjure up in his mind what it was to look like there was no design party there was no design project uh, in this stage God did all the designing God told Moses exactly how he was to build uh, this particular tabernacle and all the furniture and all the instruments that were to be in it. He was to do it precisely. He wasn't to add anything to it. He wasn't to take anything away. And he was to make it as uh, he was instruction. A specific pattern was given to him to implement and uh, to put into action. And uh, he had to scrupulously attend to these instructions. You would think, you would think sometimes, well, Moses in the mount, he's with God. No, he's, he's bound to hear things which are unrepeatable when he comes down. But he's given this list of, a little bit tedious, we could say, for us sometimes when we read it. But they're very important because they reflect uh, uh, heaven itself uh, and uh, what's happening in heaven. It's a pattern even of uh, that Uh, that which is taking place in heaven uh, and that's why God is very specific in what he gives uh, to Moses so uh, the first thing we draw out from this friends is that we also uh, in the church we're not free uh, to come up with our own design how we're going to do church how do you do church some people say in your church oh we do it this way oh how do you do it We, we do it this other way But we're not free to come up with our own inventions when it comes to worship and the practices which are in the church. We have the blueprint here already given to us, and especially in the New Testament, we have the blueprint for how God would have us to worship, how God would have us to witness, how God would uh, have us to uh, order the church with elders and deacons and church discipline and so on. All these things uh, are given uh, to us, and it's our duty Uh, to follow we're not meant to copy the world there was uh, moses was given a blueprint which was from on high he didn't take and draw things and copy things from the world and say oh that's good we'll take that and that's good we like that we'll mix them all together no what he did was receive something unique and same for us we're not to take things from the world and copy it and bring it into the church uh, but we go by what God has already given. We just follow precisely as we can the Scriptures. Well, the materials uh, for this tabernacle and uh, furniture had to come from the people. Verse 2, Speak unto the children of Israel, that they bring me an offering of every man that giveth it willingly. Uh, with his heart shall he take my offering. And the offering uh, there as you go in in the following verses of gold and silver and brass and uh, blue-purple scarlet and oil and uh, precious stones uh, were to be taken from the people. The first thing you want to ask is, where did they get all this material from? After all, they're just three months out of uh, slavery in Egypt. How did they have, would they have such materials on them? It's almost as if they're loaded and they've got so much. And they have, actually. They are, actually, loaded. Because we read, as we studied before, when they came out of Israel, uh, sorry, when they came out of Egypt, uh, the, the Egyptians, they borrowed from the Egyptians, or they rather, they asked from the Egyptians for these things. And the Egyptians were only too happy to give them gold and silver and uh, so many uh, other things. Uh, they, in Exodus 12, and verse 35 even says they plundered uh, the Egyptians. So a lot of these things were gained uh, from, uh, on their exit uh, from uh, Egypt and things that they were entitled to because during their time as slaves they were uh, very badly and severely treated and were certainly not paid uh, for what they were doing. So they were owed those things. But God gave them to, to them and now the Lord is asking uh, for a free will offering uh, from what they have uh, to give uh, to this work. And there's a very important principle uh, that is here, a principle that runs all the way uh, throughout Scripture. And that principle is that uh, nothing is to be taken forcefully from the people. The people are to give of their belongings, their possessions, they're to give it willingly. They're to give it uh, from the heart. They're to give it cheerfully, not because somebody is twisting their arm to give them these things, but because they want to give it. Speak to the children of Israel that they bring every man an offering and give it willingly with uh, his heart. And this is, uh, this is so important. Every offering had to be a free will offering, a cheerful offering, uh, not done in a grudging uh, kind of way. And that principle still applies to us today, friends. All that we do for the Lord must be done from our hearts, must be done willingly. I have a responsibility to tell you what the Lord requires from you, but I can't force you to do what the Lord wants you to do. I would love to see many more people uh, coming to the prayer meeting. would love to see many more people at our Bible studies, I'd love to see everybody at, the, at the, uh, both the services on the Lord's Day, but I can't make you do that. I would love to see more people uh, doing other, the other things of the Lord's work, or even in terms of our giving. I have to, we have to give to the Lord, but we, it has to be done willingly. Everything has to come from your side. I cannot, as it were, uh, force you uh, what to do. But it must be done cheerfully because we love the Lord and we feel... Our indebtedness uh, to Him, and so whatever we do for Him uh, is not to be forced, but a free will uh, offering. Well, I'm not going to go through uh, all uh, these uh, f- uh, furniture items and uh, in any great detail, but really just to walk through uh, the, the tabernacle and give you some idea and. Uh, it, Starting in 25, it, it, the way that if we follow the chapter, it starts within the, the Holy of Holies, it's, and then it works its way out, and then it comes back in again. So I'm not going to actually follow the scripture way, but uh, to try and make it a little bit easier for us to see the different parts of the furniture and the different items in it, I'm going to start from the outside, as were, of the, the tabernacle, and i work our way inside. So imagine that we are standing on the very outside, now the tabernacle uh, was the, the, was situated uh, within a precinct uh, within a courtyard i 'm sure uh, you know this. There are many good pictures online uh, which it 's worthwhile you, you have a look at when you can. But that tabernacle was and that courtyard was surrounded by uh, uh, white linen which went all the way around it, a white uh, linen screen, and the, scr- the actual linen screen. Was half the height of the tabernacle, which meant that you could, from the outside, you could see at least the top of the t- of the tabernacle. Uh, it had only one. This courtyard had only one entrance on the east side, and uh, anyone uh, could enter into this court. So let's go through it, and as we go through it, we go through this courtyard. Uh, what's the first thing that confronts confronts us? The first thing that we see is the altar of burnt offering in chapter 27 and verse 1. I'm going to flip back and forward. You, you can flip with me or you can just listen along. It's, it's up to you. But in chapter 27, verse 1, And thou shalt make an altar of shittim wood, that's acacia wood, five cubits long and five cubits broad. The altar shall be four square, and the height thereof shall be three cubits. And thou shalt make the horns of it upon the four corners uh, thereof. This is the the place where uh, the offerings are to be made. It's the first thing that you see when you enter into the courtyard. It's this brass. uh, It was made of brass or uh, bronze, as we would say. And it's the altar of burnt offering. And it was here that the people brought their sin offerings and their burnt offerings. And it was here that those sacrifices, uh, those animal sacrifices, were tied uh, to the altar. At each corner of the altar, there were these four horns, and the animals were bound, uh, the sacrifice was bound to the altar and was was burnt uh, there. And it speaks to us, uh, friends, that when we are... uh, wanting to approach God, uh, this this first thing that we're immediately taught is that we are guilty and that we are sinful people who need a sacrifice. We cannot just approach near to God by ourselves without a sacrifice. There must be a sacrifice if we would draw nigh to God. It teaches us that we must recognize that we are sinners, that we are guilty, that we need forgiveness, uh, and we need a cleansing. And we must come trusting in the sacrifice of Christ and the atonement that he has made for our sins. Why brass? Why was this altar uh, made of acacia wood but covered in brass? Why brass? Because it also signifies uh, how Christ, well, well, the brass had to withstand the fire. And so also Christ when he was suffering and making an atonement for sin, he alone could bear the fire of God's wrath that was poured out upon him and come through it. No one else uh, could bear uh, such a, such suffering and such a punishment for sins. But then, and I'm only going through these, as I said, very briefly, uh, but uh, there's one could spend a lot more time uh, on it. But then the very next instrument uh, that we come to is the laver object. Is the laver of brass, and that stood just beyond uh, uh, this uh, altar, this brazen altar, uh, and still in the courtyard, but before the door of the tabernacle itself, before that place of meeting. And uh, in this, uh, in this uh, laver, of course, is water, and the priests uh, had to wash their hands and their feet. Uh, before they went into the tabernacle, before they went to serve uh, in that that tabernacle. Because every time, uh, every time before they went in, they had to go through this uh, ceremonial washing. Now, Aaron and his sons would be consecrated as priests in due time. And they uh, uh, they they would then be tasked with serving in the tabernacle. And they would have to wash, as I said, the hands and feet every time they went in. The consecration of them as priests was a one-off, but then their entrance into the, this tent of meeting and this washing which had to take place beforehand was a, uh, was a regular thing. It wasn't a one of them. Every time they had to go in, if they went in Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, they had to wash their hands and feet uh, before uh, entering in. And it's, it speaks, uh, friends, uh, of the daily cleansing that we as believers uh, also need. There was a point, yes, when we came to the Lord and we uh, yielded our lives over to Him, and for the very first time in our life, He cleansed us and washed us, from all our sins, and when we knew we were forgiven all our sins, we were Christians. But subsequent to that is uh, the need for daily cleansing in our lives daily coming before the Lord and saying, Lord, forgive me, Lord, pardon me for my sins of this day. I've done this and this and this. You remember how in John uh, 13, uh, the Lord uh, washed, uh, was washing his disciples' feet, and he came to Peter, and Peter said, No, Lord, you never wash me. And the Lord said, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then he said, Wash my whole body, wash every part of me. And the Lord said, No, those who are clean have no need uh, to be washed, save their feet. Uh, I read it as it is in Scripture. He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. And that's also the same thought is there. Perhaps it's, it's, the Lord had this in mind about the priests having their hands and their feet washed. But we need to keep up our daily confession with the Lord, not to allow days to go by with a sin unconfessed upon our conscience. Those who do the work of the Lord also, we have to say, must be clean. The priests who go in, the priests who bear the vessels of the Lord, the priests who are engaged in the work, they must be clean. And so, also for us, as we do the Lord's work, we must be holy, we must be clean, we must make a point that we are still uh, in fellowship with the Lord and not living, as it were, at a distance uh, from Him. So that's the labor. And then we move now, uh, uh, we enter now. Uh, through the the curtains, through the, uh, the pillars, uh, and into the actual tabernacle of meeting itself, uh, this, which is at the western side uh, of, uh, the, of the courtyard. Uh, it's a rectangular structure, this tabernacle of meeting. It has no solid ceiling. It's a tent, uh, but not like here in the church or in our homes. We have a ceiling. Uh, it, it didn't have a, a solid ceiling, but instead it had uh, coverings, and it had four uh, different uh, coverings uh, over it. It had uh, in chapter 26, you can see this in verse 1 Moreover, thou shalt make the tabernacle with ten curtains of fine twine linen, and blue, and purple, and scarlet, with cherubims of cunning work shalt thou make them. That's the first covering that would uh, uh, go over the entire open space, blue, purple, and scarlet. Again, all these have particular meanings, but, and embroidered in that, those curtains would be these cherubims, these angelic figures. And uh, the thing about this particular covering that I'd like you to notice is it could only be seen once you're inside, once you're inside that uh, holy place. We're not yet into the Holy of Holies. This is the holy place. You could only see it, uh, so only the priests, in a sense, uh, could see it once they were inside. Above this first covering uh, would be another covering of goat's hair. And then on top of that would be the ram skins dyed red. And the very, the, the, the very out- outermost covering would be uh, that of badger skins. And you can read that uh, also uh, there in verse 14, that shall make a covering. Of tents of rams, skins dyed red, and a covering above of badger skins. Badger skins. The thing about badger skins, friends, is there was nothing very attractive about it. There's nothing very special about it. It was dull to have badger skins, uh, it, didn't, it, was, it was inconspicuous. There's nothing captivating about that. And even that speaks so much because when we think of Christ, when who came and took upon himself a human body and dwelt amongst us as we sang. When he came, well, he wasn't beautiful. He wasn't a handsome person that everyone admired and followed because of his beauty. Isaiah tells us in Isaiah 53, He has no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Just like the tabernacle outwardly unattractive, yet inside was glorious. Inside was wonderful. Who are the people who see his glory? Those who are believers, those who have come into a personal relationship with him. The world doesn't see anything glorious in Christ, even today, apart from that he's a good man. They don't see anything which is really tremendous. They just see uh, another man in many cases, or a prophet, But with those who are believers, those who have been brought into a a, a knowledge of him, what they show, they realize he is very God, a very God. They see some of his perfections and his glory, and they marvel at what they see. And so uh, this is the outside, the the covering uh, for that tent of meeting, that tabernacle. And as we pass uh, through uh, the entrance of this particular place, uh, or as we're in it now, we're in, we're in the holy place. It's a place where, as I said, only the priests uh, may enter in. Uh, and in this room, well, there are three per- pieces of furniture. The table of showbread is on our right hand side, on the north side. Uh, the lampstand is on the, uh, my left side, uh, on the south, the south side. And there's an altar of incense ahead. And if you look directly ahead in front of you, is the veil. The veil that separates the holy place from the most holy place. Uh, a veil that's made of, uh, again, of uh, blue and purple and scarlet, and with those cherubims also embroidered upon it. Well, let's just briefly go again through these uh, items within the holy place before we come to the Holy of Holies. And firstly, is, is the table of showbread. In chapter 25 and verse 23, Thou shalt also make a table of shittim wood, that's acacia wood. Acacia wood used in many of the items here. was actually something very hard and durable, uh, heavy kind of wood, uh, and apparently indestructible uh, by insects. So very appropriate for, uh, for the furniture of the tabernacle. Uh, Two cubits shall be the length thereof and a cubit the breadth thereof and a cubit and a half the height thereof and thou shalt overlay it with pure gold and make thereto a crown of gold round about. So uh, later on it goes on to say that upon this table uh, there were to uh, place 12 uh, loaves of bread, 12 uh, cakes of bread. Uh, in two piles uh, of six. And on the Sabbath day, well, the priests uh, would uh, take that old bread and would eat that bread and replace it with new, uh, fresh loaves. And this would happen uh, continually. And it was a symbol uh, of the, uh, the thankfulness of the people that God had provided for them. It was a continual thank offering uh, uh, to him who had provided for them all their way and would provide for them, a promise that he would provide for them going into the future. An assurance for us that God will always provide for us if we are his people. The table of showbread. And then we come to the lampstand in verse chapter 25 and verse 31. It's here called a candlestick. What's in mind, when we think of candlestick, we think of just a singular uh, upright object, but the, here the candlestick is actually a lampstand. Uh, Thou shalt make a lamp, a candlestick of pure gold, of beaten work shall the candlestick be made, and so on, verse 32, and six branches shall come out of the sides of it, three on, on each side. So it had seven lamps, here had one upright one, and it had uh, three branches on I- either side, and altogether there were seven lamps that... Uh, uh, were on this one uh, candlestick, this one uh, lampstand. And this was the only light that was found in this dark place. Without, without this light, the whole place would be in complete darkness. And uh, the application for us, friends, is, is so obvious, isn't it? This whole world would be in, remain in complete darkness unless without the light of the world. We're not talking about the sun, we can see. We're talking about the Son of God. Without Christ coming into the world, Christ said, I am the light of the world. And he brought light and life to us uh, through his coming. And now we also are referred to as, uh, believers are referred to as the light of the world uh, in this uh, dark world that we live in. The truth that God has given to us, the truth that God has placed is also a light uh, to us. These the priests. Just think of it. How they couldn't go about doing what they did, had to do in the uh, in that uh, holy place without the light. They would be in complete darkness. So also for us, well, we have the truth to lead us and guide us to show us the right way that we are to serve God, to show us the right way that we are to come to God, and even what we do uh, as. Uh, as believers, how we are to serve the Lord, we are illumined uh, once again from the light of God's uh, word. So we are instructed uh, in these things even from this uh, lampstand. And then uh, before, uh, one, one final object is that altar of uh, incense in chapter 30. You see how it switches back and forth. Chapter 30 must be a reason for this but i haven't quite figured it out in chapter 30 and verse 1 and thou shalt make an altar to burn incense upon it of uh, acacia wood shalt thou make it and uh, then down if you look at verse 7 and 8 Aaron had responsibility to burn thereon sweet incense every morning when he dressed the lamps he shall burn incense upon it And when Aaron lighteth the lamps at even, he shall burn incense upon it, a perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generations. Well, as I'm sure you know from Revelation, incense in the Bible speaks about the prayers of the saints. And here in this altar of incense is this continual burning of incense is an example of the necessity uh, for continuous prayer and persistent prayer to rise from God's people uh, to uh, the Lord. Well, let's move very quickly uh, beyond uh, the veil, and now we are into that most holy place, the Holy of Holies. And uh, if you and I were living at such a time, well, we wouldn't be allowed to enter into such a place. We were excluded uh, from that place. Not even the priests, Uh, could enter into uh, this holy, uh, most holy place. Only the high priest could enter in, and that only once a year on the Day of Atonement, when he would go in with the blood of the sin offering. So it was a very sacred place, but this is the place where God uh, dwelt. This is the place where the Ark of the Covenant, also known as the Ark of the Testimony, was. And that is the most important object that is to be found in the Tabernacle. Chapter 25 and verse 10 refers to this Ark of the Covenant. You shall make this Ark again of shittim wood, acacia wood, and the length is given to us. And then verse 11, Thou shalt overlay it with pure gold within and without. Thou shalt overlay it and shalt make upon it a crown of gold round about, a decorative kind of gold that went round about it. But it was of gold within and without. This ark was rather like a chest and uh, within, we, within it was kept the two tables of the law, the Ten Commandments and then afterwards the pot of manna and Aaron's rod as well. And on top of this ark uh, was the mercy seat. Uh, now, when I used to read about the mercy seat before, I always used to think about an actual seat, like the one that you're sitting on now, and pictured a seat above the, the ark. But that's nothing like it. Okay, the, the mercy seat is actually like a lid or a covering that went on top of the, the covenant, the ark of the covenant. So this is this, the ark of the covenant And the the mercy seat uh, was above it. And the interesting thing about this was it was made of pure gold. There was no wood at all. It was just like one solid uh, slab of gold which went on top of the the Ark of the Covenant. Chapter 25 and verse 17, we see this. Thou shalt make a mercy seat of pure gold. Uh, And then above uh, the mercy seat well, I should say on, uh, before that, uh, on uh, on either end of this mercy seat, the slab of pure gold, were these two cherubims, these two angels, and they, they had their wings outstretched, and their in, uh, wings went inward, touching each other, uh, but their faces uh, were were facing downwards, looking at the ark itself, and uh, it's we we here isn't we read in First Peter. Uh, That uh, or 2 Peter, how the angels desire to look into uh, these things. They desire to look into the ways of God, the way of redemption, the work of Christ, and desire to know uh, about it. Well, these angels were were on top of that mercy seat. And then in the middle is what we refer to as the, the Shekinah glory. In the middle there was the presence of God, Shekinah glory being in the sense of God in a cloud, uh, uh, presencing himself there above the mercy seat and uh, in between the two uh, cherubims. Well, Friends, what does all these, these things uh, mean uh, for us? Well, the law of God, we know, is perfect, it's good, but it's not, it's not very helpful in terms of saving us the law cannot save us because we've broken the law. We haven't kept the law. How can we keep, how can we keep the law? It's, uh, it condemns us and it separates us from a holy God. But all this uh, is symbolic of uh, reconciliation and of uh, being reunited with our God. On the, at, on, in the Ark of the Covenant, we have uh, the, the Ten Commandments, we have the holy God above, and in the middle is the mercy seat. And the mercy seat, friends, is a type of Christ, of the mediator, the one who is going to reconcile fallen man by keeping the law on their behalf. He's going to reconcile them with a holy God. And that's, uh, that's the, the picture that is uh, here. The pure gold uh, speaks of the purity of Christ. Now remember that uh, the, the high priest had to go in once a year on that day of atonement and he had to take the blood of the sin offering and he had to sprinkle that blood on, uh, the, on that mercy seat every year. When he came back the second year, there would be some of the stain left. Year after year, those stains would be left upon the mercy seat. So you have a combination of pure gold and you have the bloodstains upon that. It's a picture of the suffering Savior, who is pure and holy in all his ways, and yet he was bloodstained. Yet he was a suffering Savior, and he, he had to uh, suffer and to die uh, to take away our sins, to make an atonement for sins. And that's what the mercy seat speaks of. It speaks of uh, recon- God. God being reconciled uh, with uh, his people. It's picture language, it's in types, it's in shadows, uh, but it, it's pictures for the people of Israel then, this is what the Messiah is going to do, this is what he's going to accomplish when uh, he comes. And when Christ did come, you remember what happened when he said it is finished. You remember that the veil that was in the temple was rent in two from top to bottom, uh, and and then the people saw clearly. It was, then it was no longer types and shadows. Then it was made clear. This is the way. This is the, is the reality of what was foreshadowed. And people were able to understand it in a clear way. This is the, the way into the holiest uh, was made uh, clear uh, even then. So all these things, friends... I close with this. Uh, This is a wonderful encouragement for us. If we want to come to God, if we haven't as yet, and we don't know the Lord, then this is the way. I must come by an offering. I must come by Christ. I cannot come depending upon my own self or my own righteousness. I need a Savior. I need a a crucified Savior, somebody who has paid the price for my sins. Our friends, this is a wonderful picture of what God has done to make it possible for God and man to dwell together, beginning here and then in glory, in heaven forever. We, God making his dwelling place in that new heavens, and that new earth, together with his people, all because of what Christ has done on our behalf. Well, do look into these things in your own time, and I hope this will just whet your appetite a little bit Uh, for what is in here.